0: Please can you remind me if you if you'll be so kind? everyone to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, the host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. For those of you that are new, and I know that we're always getting new listeners, I'm just going to take a moment to tell you who we are and why we're here. Um, Basically, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years, and it was, um, as much as you would never wish dementia on anyone, it was probably the most precious and um, generous relationship um, i 've ever had in my life and most authentic and i can 't thank her enough for for sharing her journey with me. Um, it was life changing on many levels, and I think made me a better person um, but besides that, you know um, my personal story. Uh, that really is what sparked Alzheimer's Speaks. And bottom line, we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort around the world. We've become more of a media platform because of the multi-surfaces um, that we use, such as um, we have a blog. We've got the website, the radio show. We do dementia chats, which are a video Um, interviews with the true experts who are those living with the disease. We also believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and having these just everyday conversations with dementia, that that's really the only way we're going to get rid of the stigmas attached to memory loss. And we're going to be able to help people continue to live with purpose and have joyful uh, times. At our core, we believe collaboration is the only way we're going to win this battle, and I can tell you, I know it's working. Thanks to each and every one of you, you see, your likes, your clicks, your shares with all of our content um, have got us named the number one influencer online, according to um, for, uh, online for Alzheimer's, according to Share and Doctor Oz, and that happened because you guys were kind enough to think our our content had value and wanted to share it with others. And that is so important because we are all about raising everyone's voice and we all need different things at different times. So I really encourage you to continue to share the different shows and blog posts and videos um, that you see from us because they're not about Alzheimer's Speaks. We are just really a, a, a motor to get the information out there to the public. I also have to give a huge round of applause and thanks to my programming team for our Dementia Friendly Cruise that we just got back from in November. It was absolutely fabulous uh, when we were out in the Caribbean. Um, We had, um, for people with dementia on our panel, uh, our four experts were uh, Michael Ellenbogen, Harry Urban, Lori Shear, and Mary Reed, and our professionals were Cindy lazinski and Becky Watson, and myself, and we just had had a spectacular time and met so many wonderful people in our group. We just we just are really looking forward as these relationships and connections. Um, Grow and expand. And again, I have to give a shout out to all of our sponsors who were so kind in um believing in this dementia-friendly cruise. Your your outpour was amazing to us. So again, thank you to John Hopkins University who sent us um the 36-hour day and a loving approach to dementia care, to Brightview Senior Living, who gave us uh the book uh, "Cruising Through Caregiving" by Jennifer Fitzpatrick, the American Senior Magazine, who puts out a wonderful magazine in large print. I will, I will say, um, Anita Jada, who was a uh, Jada, who was our photographer, the Dementia Friendly Communities of Northern Colorado, uh, music for wellness, free to go mobility. Um, calendar cards who also sponsors the dementia they're uh, um, not the dementia the memory cafe um, directory and memory joggers Trin Rose Sealy, who gave us her book the 15 minutes of fame um, PS salons and spa um, we had the care to plan uh, dementia resource uh, directory also sponsored our programs we had art kits uh We had the Dementia Handbooks, Um, we also had the book called The Little Book for Alzheimer's Caregiver, and then Call Alert Center, and Footprint ID also sponsored us, so again, thank you so much for that. Today, we're going to have a really uh, great conversation, um, one that pulls us right back to reality, and we are going to be talking with, um, first of all... um, a woman who is, is living the walk and, and talking the talk. And her name is Cheryl Levine Ferrero, And she um, has written a book called The 24-Hour Rules. And, and her background is in uh, 2012, at the age of only 56, her husband, Michael, was diagnosed with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. And three years later, Cheryl ended up retiring from her professional career to become his full-time and primary care partner. At the time of the diagnosis, and I I absolutely love this, Cheryl tried um, desperately to find a book that would help her in her day-to-day care for her husband. But in the absence you know, found that it was time for her to start taking notes um, to develop her own book, which she entitled, again, The 24-Hour Rule, Living with Alzheimer's, which is filled with tips and strategies that she's picked up along her journey. And it, it's so true. It's hard to find a book that that grabs you and resonates with you. Um, Cheryl is really on a mission to help eradicate uh, this disease and raise awareness and help others like her negotiate the often treacherous path of of taking care of somebody else she is frequently called upon by the media to share her story um, of how her and her husband michael are facing the disease with a positive attitude and proactive strategies we living with dementia and I can't wait to have this discussion because I think so much of the time we talk about the doom and the gloom and, and oh woe is me and you know we're all dealing with something if we want to admit it or not and for some it's dementia and that does not mean it's the end of the world or the end of a good life and so I can't wait to hear about their positive spin on things and how they are working together as husband and wife to move forward, um, to continue to have a, uh, a brilliant marriage and, um, and togetherness, uh, supporting one another. So welcome, Cheryl, to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lori.
0: Well, I have to apologize one for my voice, and two for some reason i 'm tripping over my tongue today too i think i'm i think I think i 'm getting a little tired again from the crud <laughs> but but we'll we 'll be fine i um i I love the way you 've approached um, your book um, in in being positive. I think we just don 't hear enough of that, and so uh, what I want to talk to you about is. You know, with Alzheimer's caregiving, and you've been doing it for what? Um, gosh, um, six years now?
1: Almost. Or yeah, we're starting years. our. Yeah, we're not we're actually starting our sixth year right now. Okay, can you can you tell us what what's that six year period
0: been like? How how has your world changed?
1: Well, um, you know, Michael and I were diagnosed um, in two thousand twelve. And it was just shortly four months after we had been married. While we've known each other close to 15 years, um, just married four months. And um, we kind of took a step back and almost didn't believe that this was happening to us. Our our fairy tale was about to begin. And then uh, we had the rug pulled out from us. And, you know, we talked a little bit about, Uh, the name of the book, The 24-Hour Rule, but the, the reason why we named the book that is because Michael had a business philosophy that he, you know, in his career shared with many, myself included, and that was you take 24 hours to deal with something bad, whatever it is, and then after that you put your plan in place. So taking that into account, that's what we did. We took the 24 hours to digest everything, and then the next morning we woke up and together we made a plan, and that was to do everything and anything to preserve the time and live our life together as happy as we can for as long as we can, um, and that essentially means to us we created a new routine. We needed a new normal because our old normal wasn't going to work. And for however long our new normal was in place until I retired, which was a little over two years ago, then our new normal changed again. So it really means following a routine that best preserves our time and allows us to do all the things that we love to do together, but be safe and secure in order for Michael to be successful.
0: Well, you know, I love uh, I love all that you said, but two things really stand out to me. One is when you said Michael and I, you know, were diagnosed. You you share this diagnosis, and and I think that that is so important because yes, one person might be afflicted with a a specific gene or chemistry or you know medical diagnosis, but it doesn't just affect one person. And, you know, we have learned as a society to live with cancer and diabetes and Mm -hmm. HIV and all these other things. But we have still a very long way for most people to accept that this is just part of our dynamics. The other thing that I loved was, was when you talked about Michael's philosophy and yours about, okay, you got 24 hours to look at the problem and then move forward. You know, don't dwell on it. Don't go down the rabbit hole. Just... Let's let's get to our our next new normal, and I think one of the things that people forget so much is we are always adapting, we are always changing, and there are many ages and stages of life. And this is just another one. It's not the last one. It's just another one. So for you two, you've been through two stages with this already. One being the you know first diagnosis. And two, and you've probably been through others as well. And then two, when you decided to retire, you know, and you're still living with this and adjusting. And, you know, if people would just take that in and look at it in that positive light of this is how I've always lived my life. This is just another facet that I have to apply it to. I, I think we yes. could move people, move that needle so much further. So, I I love love what you're doing and just what you said in the first couple of minutes of the show. So, thank you,
1: thank um, you, thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, and you talk about living with the illness, you know, and your your comment is very, you know, point on, and that is, so many people and don't want. To tell people about the illness. They yeah. want to hide the illness. You know, it's the stigma that gets attached and that stigma is a very real. Yeah. Um, and, and, and from a standpoint of living with it, people feel they can hide. They can, you know, uh, they can, you know, laugh it off to saying they have a senior moment or, Oh, we all forget this or we all do that. But when those become a routine mm-hmm. and, and that routine becomes noticeable and believe me everybody notices what you believe you feel you're hiding and that you don't want to share but by doing that you i think you build that wall that that's so so high for you to get over that when you're really ready and need to share it people don't know how to react to you
0: yeah no i totally agree with that plus it's um you know, I, I was on the journey with my mom for 30 years. And so, you know, I always tell people that, you know, if we would have given up, if we would have followed what the doctors told us, go get your affairs in order, you know, and, and, and and plan for the end, we would have lost 30 years um, that were magnificent. And, 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 you know, how sad is that? But, you know, people need to, they just need to embrace this, you know, with my, with my family initially, Um, mom didn't, you know, she was trying to keep it herself because she was still working. She didn't want to lose her job and, and various things. And she did all these kind of modifications. And then we found as a family that we didn't, um, talk about it much, but, you know, 30 years ago, nobody talked about it and we didn't really know where to go for help. We didn't, I mean, we were just kind of lost souls. And what I found was, you know, as a family member, I would get really frustrated with with friends and even other family that didn't know, because they would they would want things um, out of my my mom that she couldn't give, and yet they didn't right. know they didn't know anything had changed because she seemed the same to them in the early stages, but they didn't see right. the behind the scenes stuff. You know, she could reminisce and have the conversations and go. You know, it was very social, and then I then I got mad at them and I had no right to get mad at them because they didn't know. Cause we didn't tell them. And, and it, that just hit me in the face one day. And, you know, and we had some friends that dropped away. And again, I, those were really good friends that I think if they would have known, wouldn't have pulled away. They knew something was off, but probably, you know, they didn't know what and um and so i blame ourselves for that i i think i think it's important for people to speak up we've got to change the face of this disease no one else is embarrassed about a disease that they get um why should why should someone be ashamed of of having (laughs) dementia it's not like you said sign me up it's not like you did any certain behaviors even to get it you know i mean there's.
1: Go ahead. You know, it's very true, but no, but I will just say to you some people even have a stigma with just the name Alzheimer's. They'd rather say oh, yeah. they have de- dementia versus mm-hmm. saying they have Alzheimer's. Um, and for a long time, the Alzheimer's Association was thinking of changing their name. Um, I, you know, I had heard that m- multiple times, but you know, there are two groups of people that go away. The group that what I would call ignorant and and fearful. And then the other people that just don't have the capacity or empathy to be there with you through this journey. And I understand fear and the fear comes from the lack of education. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not contagious, but there are people that um, need to distance themselves because it's too uncomfortable to watch. It's not like watching somebody with cancer go through a bad chemo session. It mm-hmm. is totally different. This person is losing themselves right before you. Yeah. Um, and, and they don't even know they're losing themselves, which makes it more painful to watch.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and I, I agree. It's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think we can get a lot more people involved if we take the scary out of it. Um, I agree. And, and I think that that's changing. I think we still got a long, long ways to go um, just with the verbiage and stuff that we use, um, calling things behaviors instead of reactions or signals, um, you know, they're just communications. And, and, you know, we all react. and We don't always behave the best. And yet we don't want someone to, to, to shame us and say, well, that was a bad behavior. You know, but we do that to right. people with dementia all the time. And a lot of times we're the ones that cause the problem in the first place, um, but we're not looking deep enough within to, to even know that or broad enough in environments or whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, very, very, very interesting. Can you tell us what do you think are three of the, the biggest challenges on a day-to-day basis that, that people face when they're living with dementia?
1: Um, I think that's a great question. And I think um, one of the best ways I can answer it is, to me, is that there's, for us, there's never a warning about what you're going, your behavior or your reaction of what is happening in your life with Alzheimer's that day changes. So for example, um, Michael and I would be out for breakfast and over the last year and a half he would, by mistake, use a spoon to, you know, eat a salad. And the way I've um, embraced helping Michael stay engaged and socializing is I don't correct him. If it works, then it's not an issue. But when it's not working, I make suggestions, like I may suggest the fork might be easier. But yesterday, out for breakfast, uh, Michael picked up his eggs with his fingers. And that came from left field. And so how that change happens is there's no warning. So the Mm -hmm. biggest challenge you have is that you're never going to have a warning when they're going to have a milestone change. But how you react to it is is vital. Yeah. So you need to recognize, you know, another biggest challenge that I think we face on a day-to-day basis is recognize when they don't understand, you know, uh, verbal direction so an example would be Michael you know please put on your honey please put on your seatbelt and he has no idea what a seatbelt is mm-hmm. and so again those seem to be they are everyday routine tasks that we take for granted Yeah. and then all of a sudden and all of a sudden that milestone change is gone and so buckling him in now becomes a new change in our routine but You know, it's making, again, I think the hardest change is making sure that you don't make him or that your loved one feel bad because there is still a part of them that understands what's happening.
0: And as
1: you, right. So as you progress in the illness, maintaining and letting them know, you know what, honey, this isn't you, your body has Alzheimer's. You know, and so we're just going to adapt to make it easier. So, you know, another example happened a while ago that Michael forgot to take his clothes off when he got into the shower. I got in the shower with my clothes on so he wouldn't feel bad. Mm -hmm. And my my suggestion was, I think we need to take our clothes off next time. And people look at me and say, why did I do that? And I'd say, you know what? You forgot. And it's okay. So I think the biggest challenges are there's never a warning, how you adapt to the new milestone change, and then how you move forward in your new normal. Because your new normal changes. Sometimes it changes in the same day. Sometimes it changes in the same week. There's just no warning. Yeah. And I think um, how you learn to keep going is one of your biggest challenges.
0: Well, and you know, I just you just brought tears to my eyes when you're talking about the shower because I'm like, how how gracious, you know, and and how loving to not make somebody feel bad. I mean, because what's the difference? So you'd throw in another load of clothes, <laughs> you know. I mean, yeah. really, that's that's really what it amounts to. It's not, it isn't that big of a deal, and yet we get so irate sometimes, you know, for those things because we. We think it, it has to be a certain way, and it just, it really doesn't. And you've kept him calm, you've kept yourself calm, and there's nothing worse, there's nothing worse than that stress or that friction. And and, and you're doing everything in your power to, to release that and push it away. And that's just so, such a beautiful, beautiful way to look at it. Um, we are a
1: good, we're a good team.
0: Yeah, the other thing is, you know, with the eggs, it's like in a lot of cultures they don't use silverware. But I know I I've right. seen that too. Or I'll I'll even tell you a story. When my mom was in the nursing home, um, she was you know pretty high functioning in the beginning, and and even though she couldn't pick out her clothes and stuff socially, she was very high functioning. And she used to get so mad at people when they would eat with their hands and she was so fearful of that happening to her. And it was like, mom, it's, it's okay. It's, there's nothing wrong, but she had, she was just so, so afraid of that. And yet, you know, I I look around at all the different cultures and the way people eat and you look at the sensory connection now of how the eggs feel, you know, it's, it's more than just food. Um, But we've been trained in America for a certain way, and um, you know, it's 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 just it's I think great just to be open to to all the variables and just have them be able to have that calming voice. The other thing I wanted to mention is I don't know if you're aware of, but you might want to um, get involved or help spread the word. There's a organization um, called the Purple Table Reservation. And um, it's a gal who's, uh, I believe her mother had dementia, and her and her husband own a restaurant. And they now have put a training program together for restaurants so people can um, call in and just say they want a purple table. And there's nothing different about it. But the staff that will attend to them are trained to, to, um, to work m- much easier and more respectfully with those with dementia. And, um, it's just a really, it's a pretty phenomenal thing. They've got it set up where people can check by state and they've just started out. So they think they only have four restaurants in on it right now, but, you know, to allow wow. people to be able to go, cause so many people say, you know, as the disease progresses that they stay in and they shouldn't have to stay in, you know? And so I, I'm just, uh, trying to raise awareness of that and in your, um, the food thing just, just brought that one up to me. So I wanted to yeah. to mention that to them. But I, I one uh, of the
1: things I'm not familiar with that but that's phenomenal. it's it's one it's, it's things, very new. Very new. Yeah. I mean one of the things that I think makes Michael and I successful in socializing is that I put him in environments that are very, very familiar. So we will frequent the restaurants that when we walk in know our names, mm-hmm. and then the ones that may not know our names, and maybe we may walk in, but whenever I make a reservation, I'll always say, I just want you to know my husband has Alzheimer's, and so we prefer to sit in the bar, or we prefer this, or we have to come early at that time. I, I make a point to be more open and sharing about it. I've even gone as far as to make laminate cards that say, thank you for understanding my husband has Alzheimer's so that if there's a big crowd and I need to wait in a different area, I kind of diffuse it so that I don't have to say and announce it and make microphones comfortable or if he's talking to someone and the words aren't coming out, mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. just put this laminate card on, on the table diffuses it for the other person who may think, well, maybe as this guy had too much to drink or what's going on, I've eliminated the confusion by being open and above about it. Yeah. And it helps everybody. <clears throat> it really so, does.
0: It really does help everybody. Um, one of the things with those cards, I'll just mention that we are doing in our um, – We have a a Roseville, Minnesota group has a kind of a grassroots effort, but we've taken that card. And what we've done in addition, and I just recommend this to anybody who's using these cards is on the back side, putting contact information. And so having one for the, the care partner and one for the person with dementia. So if somebody with dementia would wander off, it has your contact information on the back. It says who they are, who their care partner is, how to reach them, and then on the others, um, on yours, you know, that you would push through. Because let's say, what if you had a heart attack or got a car accident? They need to know that you're caring for somebody with dementia as well. And so that's just kind of an, an added added feature with those. But they work so wonderful. And some, um, some yeah. restaurants and stores, if you ask, they'll, they'll go ahead and put them out so other people can utilize them. As well, and help spread the word. Um, I, I've been amazed at how many um, shop owners are are willing to put them out because they've been touched
1: themselves. And it's you know absolutely. You know, another two helpful strategies that 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 go hand in hand with the um, the, the the laminate card is I wear uh, an ID bracelet. As does Michael, a medical alert. Mine says that I care for somebody with Alzheimer's and has emergency contact information, and Michael's has that he has Alzheimer's with emergency contact information, and that helps. Um, the other one that um, we find also helpful is uh, I used to be able to track him when he had an iPhone, and now that um, he no longer uh, carries the phone because truthfully, he lost it, and we haven't been able to recover it. I then um, invested for him in the iPhone watch because he was a very big watch person. And the new iPhone watch has a cellular component so that you can track them in the event they wander. You Mm -hmm. just have to be on top of it and make sure that the watch is always charged. But that's just new. and, And there are several devices that, you know, allow you for that wandering capability, and there is peace of mind um, having the name and, and, and on the card and the contact information. Um, all of those good strategies help any which way you can yeah. to, again, secure your loved one and keeping them safe.
0: Well, and I, I love that you both have the bracelets because, you know, I relate it back to when my mom and dad – we're gonna go get a will. Um, my dad had cancer. My mom had dementia. And they just um, had never gone in and done that, and they did. Oh, they're like, oh, you know, we don't need that. And I'm like, you know what? Tom and I are gonna go in and do ours too. Let's do them together. It's just smart living, yeah. you know. And it and again, it's about we are more different or we are more similar than we are different. And and what's good Absolutely. for the is good for the gander. And um, you know, just making things comfortable. Um, I, I just, yeah, great, great strategies. Love, love those very much. Now I Cheryl, I know that you're real vocal about removing stigmas, you know, associated with the disease. And what what have you found are some of the dangers that come with stigmas and, and what can we do to, to really reduce them?
1: Well, um I think the the dangers that come from it are that People can hurt, not necessarily physically, but emotionally scar the individual who has Alzheimer's, you know, they take in still what goes on. They they do understand, you know, some of the, you know, people, um, you know, some people talk louder and, you know, I, I go out of my way to say, I just want to let you know, my, my husband's not deaf. He has Alzheimer's Mm -hmm. or they, they don't they don't talk to him and he's standing right there and they will direct the question to me when it is a question that they want to ask Michael and I'll say why don't you ask him my suggestion would be don't ask him an open-ended question ask him a question that makes it easier for him to help so I think the stigma danger stays in place if we don't educate Mm -hmm. others if we continue not to build awareness I think that is um, the worst thing that we can do and make them under, help them understand it's not contagious. Um, Michael, and I, Michael and I experienced a stigma that was very real. Um, we were at our local gym that we frequent, and every day Michael walks in and says hello, and they say hello back. And I had noticed that this woman, every time that we were walking by, would move to another side of the gym. And, you know, I I paid attention to it and it, it broke my heart. But this one particular day, because Michael likes to be in front of me and look back and he likes to know where we are, that I need to now help him connect the earplugs to the sound system on the treadmill. And so I was helping him and this particular person just happened to be next to us. And it was never as blatant as it was this day. And literally, um, midstream, she stopped her running, and got off the machine and gave us an obligatory um, hello, and then went to another treadmill, like 10 feet away. Mm -hmm. And Michael looked at me, he said, did I? And he couldn't get his words out, But what hurt me the most is that he understood what, you know, that she was moving because she didn't want to be next to him. It was that obvious. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that they're not aware that they're hurting people, um, I talk about it and I Mm -hmm. tell people about it because helping them educate others is the only way for the stigma to go away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, a big part of it is fear. Yeah. And, and, and and they're worried that it could happen to them because this is an illness that is now facing all of us. And it's facing us at earlier and earlier ages. It used to be thought of only as someone who is getting the illness um, in their eighties. The media, TV, um, they're one of the contributors, contributors, excuse me, to adding to stigma. Look at the commercials for Alzheimer's. It's not someone in their 50s that's the person that, the, that is being helped. It's someone in their 80s.
0: Yeah. And the
1: 50 year old is caring for their mom. They're contributing to that stigma. Yeah. So the sooner that we, on all levels, educate others, I think that's the biggest danger. It's the lack of awareness about what and how and when this illness can be, um, you know, identified is really what we have to live with mm-hmm. and fix.
0: I I am right there with you. Um, and, and like I said, the more voices we can get out and and up talking about this, um, the more people that are diagnosed as well as our care partners that will come forward and, and share their stories is really the way we're going to, we're going to switch this around because this can touch anybody. There's, you know, no one, no one can say it's never going to happen to them because there's no rule. To, there's no yeah. rules to this disease. We still don't know what causes it. So, you know, we're not close to a cure, even though they say we are, I, I don't see how we can be if we don't know what causes it, but that's just right. me. <laughs> but, but There are many things we can do to um, live with it
1: better, though. um, Right. And additionally, when we talk about talking about it, I took it a step further, and I wrote an article about that the stigma is real, and I posted it on LinkedIn. And a few weeks after it posted, a woman who I had never met before but recognized me from our gym and just from being in the neighborhood came up to me and told me that um, I just wanted to tell you I read your article someone forwarded to me and I'm so thankful that you wrote about it because my mother had the same problem and then she shared it with somebody else so again I think the way that Michael and I as our team approach how we are living with Alzheimer's Mm-hmm. It helps others understand, and then those people can help educate the ones that are afraid. Yeah, it 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 it's it, it you know it's almost like six degrees of separation.
0: Yeah, well, it it's giving people hope, you know, and Absolutely. and you know just even being able to tell people um, because there's been so much, you know, shame. With this, because of the stigmas, people are afraid you know to talk about it. but when they find somebody who 's willing to tell them the good, the bad, and the ugly about the disease because nothing 's perfect you know everything isn 't rosy all the time, um, they feel very comfortable and and it makes them feel more comfortable that 's one of the things I love about um, i don 't know if you guys have a memory cafe around you at all, but those are absolutely fabulous and therefore. The person diagnosed and their care partner, and it gives them a social outlet um, and you know the disease pulls everyone together, but it kind of takes a back, back seat because we talk about all of life, you know, and um, I, I love going to them as a facilitator. I uh, have the time I leave there, my cheeks are sore because we've laughed so much i mean it they're they 're just a brilliant um, non scripted um, Route you know it isn't um, it, there's not an agenda we just it's a gathering of people because you don't have an agenda when you get together with friends and it's all about building camaraderie and um, they're they're just brilliant. Do you guys have any around you or have you have you
1: I'm not one? familiar with them no um no, so i'm going to look for one because it sounds incredible. It would be oh. an incredible experience. They so are. I'm definitely going to research that. Well, go to um,
0: memorycafedirectory.com, and um, you'll get a full list of where they are. They're really easy to set up. I'd be more than glad to talk to you about them. Um, most of them are grassroots. They're not funded. It's just finding mm-hmm. a spot and gathering people, and um, uh, people just say over and over. It's their lifeline. They look forward to, to getting together. And the groups that I run, we, we get together um, twice a month for two hours.
1: Wonderful.
0: You know, some only get together for an hour once a month. I just don't think that's enough to build the camaraderie. Um, that's why I like the, the every two weeks. And you know, there's no absolutely. People said, "Well, do we have to RSVP?" And it's like, you got enough on your plate. Show up if you can. (laughs) Right. It's it's like This isn't a. You know, we're just we accept everybody where they're at, and um and and they learn from one another and they share just these brilliant stories of how they care, um and resources that they find and, you know, they talk about their grandkids and vacations and holidays and just the car broke down or the cat got sick. I mean, just the stuff you talk about with friends. They're really, they're really cool. Really, really cool.
1: That's great. I will definitely, I will definitely look into it. Yeah. I am always um, helpful. I'm always open to embracing new ideas.
0: Great. Great. The other um,
1: thing is, you know, since you've been walking this
0: path for so long and, you know, you're, you're starting out to speak to different groups about, you know, how caregivers can really take care of themselves. What are some solid self-care strategies that you can share with our audience?
1: Um, well, I, I, again, another great question. Um, I'm really a strong proponent of making sure that you're not afraid to admit when you've had a bad day. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, part of knowing when you need to take care of yourself because you can only be so good for your loved one unless you're good for yourself. Yeah. So, um, again, we talk about routine um, and we follow the routine for both of us to make us both feel good. Um, you know, clearly making sure you're getting enough sleep, um, but spending time with friends and figure out how to surround yourself with a trusted, close circle of people, both family and friends. And then conversely, remove the ones that don't support you Mm -hmm. because this is a tough enough illness as it is. The last thing you need to be is criticized or be victim to someone's making foolish statements that they don't realize that they're hurtful. And rather than educating them, I'm not saying walk away from people, but you have a limited time to spend where your life isn't stressful. And if you're taking care of yourself, surround it with people that are going to make you feel good. So on a routine basis, Michael and I exercise every single day. Sometimes we do it together. Sometimes we don't. Um, you, you know, we I play Mahjong now. I play Canasta. And... Sometimes it's just getting my nails done. It's all the little, little things that you shouldn't take for granted. But I think the biggest and most powerful thing you can do for yourself is knowing when to ask for help Mm -hmm. and not be afraid to ask for help and admit to yourself that you can't handle it. And because I have such a great circle um of family and friends they needed to say to me you need more help Mm -hmm. so recognizing when you don't see it anymore it happens to all of us as caregivers because we're too close to it or we'll say you know he's not that bad yet you're not even seeing sometimes when that person's getting worse and you're looking more stressed and making sure that you create the right environment for everybody, not yeah. just Michael, because again, we have Alzheimer's, and so living in that understanding is is just as important as taking care of Michael. It's taking care of myself or anybody who's caring for somebody with Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah, that is really good advice. I remember I pushed away my friends because I was too busy taking care of my mom with dementia and my dad with brain cancer. And I had the best girlfriend. So they wouldn't, they didn't give up on me. And finally one day I said, I would, I would go um, meet them for coffee, but I'd only give them 15 minutes. And I said it really snottily. Like I'll give you 15 minutes. Like I'm the queen coming to town. And I, I stayed for two hours. We laughed and we cried. And uh, from that point forward, i I didn't realize until that moment how empty I had gotten and Absolutely. and from that moment forward, every week, I spent two hours with my girlfriends and we just had coffee and we just talked about life and to get filled because we we can't you know you nobody can give it all away you have to you have to have balance, and that balance comes in different forms, just like you say with you know With the new normal, you have to find it, you know, where is it? And there's no, there's, you know, nothing wrong with finding it in different ways, you know, as long as it's healthy um, and safe for you. Um, And I think, um, you know, I like the statement too, where you talked about having the trusted friends and then getting rid of those that, that aren't there for you. And, and that's something I think is really sad we don't teach our children because why should we have to wait till we're adults in, in, you know, to figure that out. Um, too many of us, I think, in, in especially our kids nowadays, they're in circles that they shouldn't be in, that they're not comfortable with, but they don't have the strength because we haven't empowered them to push out. or right. You know, those that aren't good for them. And
1: um, I think that I think that Alzheimer's teaches us that we have to lower our level of expectations mm-hmm. and that we need to, to recognize people's shortcomings. Some might be intentional, some not. But, you know, one of the other most important things, and you talked about it, you touched on it, Michael and I laugh together and we cry together. And I'm not afraid to tell him when I'm scared. And he's the voice in the back of my head. And I don't let that memory go away. But I also know that another great thing to do for yourself is not just talk to your friends there are support groups they're great Um, but also don't be afraid to go talk to somebody independently if Mm -hmm. going into a big group and sharing your story with many because some people are very private Um, and I remember going to my first support meeting and why I chose to go a different route was based on the outcome of that meeting and And, you know, a story to share was that I'm not angry. Mm -hmm. Michael didn't do this to punish me. I'm not mad at him. But it is a common um, response that a lot of people who have been married, you know, 30 plus years or 40 plus years are now forced into a different situation and they're angry. And I understand anger. But when I went to this meeting, you know, I witnessed this this individual being very upset saying, why do I want to do this when my life is ruined? Mm-hmm. And I recognized then, and, and I was the youngest in this room. At the time I was, you know, 50 years old. And, you know, I was one of, you know, the only people who was in their fifties. So I recognized then that the support groups were not geared for early onset. And when early onset, I'm not just referring to to the earliness and the illness, really the earliness of the age. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. therefore, I've elected to go um, to speak or excuse me, to talk to somebody privately. However, I do speak at many care support groups and I'm always um, positive and welcoming the positive Um, things that come out of those meetings but I'm also very accepting and understand the negatives that come come out of those meetings because that's their venting mechanism and regardless that helps them Mm -hmm. and for that I'm thankful that they're going you just have to pick and knowing where to go is to take care of yourself knowing what's best that's going to be best for you because what may be good for another person you know may not be good for you
0: Yep, and, and that is such wise advice. It's you know everything doesn't work for everybody, and and what works today might not work tomorrow, or might not work five minutes from now. Absolutely, and and that's okay. I, I loved what you said too about you know, um, and you didn't use this this term, but you know, getting off our high oars, <laughs> lowering our expectations. Right. Um, we have gotten so nitpicky out there about everything has to be perfect and. You know this this competition with ourselves, with others, and um, it's just it's gotten to the point of not being healthy. And you know, perfect. I I always tell people, perfect doesn't exist. You know, it's Mm -hmm. you can't duplicate it. It it's there for one moment. Appreciate it and improve on it. You know, don't don't be don't be satisfied with what you think is perfect, Um, and don't strive to be perfect because. Life isn't perfect. Something's going to come and jam you up somewhere along the line. Um, I I think that's one of the biggest gifts um, the disease gave me, you know, through my mom was learning to be more flexible, learning to be more playful, learning to play, you know, because I was an adult. I was serious. I had my, my cell phone and my pager and my computer. And, you know, I was on this committee and that committee and doing this and doing that and doing that and oh, important me. And it's like, turn your dang phone off, LeBay shut up and sit down and don't say a word and just revel in the presence of your mom, you know, and it's those simple moments. It's those simple moments where you don't necessarily have to do anything. You just literally have to be present with somebody you love. It's not about filling air and talking or doing an activity just to be busy. You know, nobody likes busy work. And a person with dementia is no different. And um, I don't know if you know Harry Urban. He's one of my uh, experts on the dementia chats. And in one of his phrases, I'll never forget what he said. He he said, you know, I used to like to relax before I got dementia. I still do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, revel in my peacefulness, he says. You know, take, take comfort when I'm comfortable and calm and and you know when you do that you expand your circle of joy when you're able to really embrace someone else being comfortable and satisfied and content you don't have to do anything I agree you can just be grateful for that that's just such a huge huge thing well, I can't believe our hour is flying by here. I've got one more question oh, wow. I, I want to throw you. Um, Cheryl, you talk so much about hope, and I, I just adore everything that you're saying. And um, I, I just, any way I can help help you spread the word, um, just just ask because I I just uh, I think you're very powerful in, in what you say. But can you tell our listeners, how can people maintain hope during a really, what most people see as a difficult journey. And a lot of times, even when they have hope, everyone else is telling them what a rough ride they got, you know, and, and I, cause I know people did that to me all the time. And I'm like, really, it's not that bad. <laughs> it's not like that. Um, what do you, what right. do you, what do you tell people to, well, to maintain hope?
1: It- You know, I think it comes from within, you know, it's having that positive mental attitude. You know, the first things that people will say to me when I'll say my husband has Alzheimer's, they'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll say, we're doing great. You know, Mm -hmm. reinforce and how well you're living, you know, regardless of the fact that it's terminal, it's not terminal today. Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking the opportunity to enjoy every memory you have and living life is, faith promote hope and you know we don't miss an opportunity to enjoy our routine but we not another thing that I did from uh for for us was when the movie um a wonderful lovely comedy fifty first date which um, was with Drew Barrymore and she had had a brain injury and in the movie Adam Sandler made her a memory montage mm-hmm. about her life because she couldn't remember it. And so with that idea, um, like i have done for my kids' bar and bat mitzvahs, I just made a memory of our life. And I keep adding to our clips, our photos, and so our life is surrounded by memories and each day I add to that and now it's up to a couple hours or maybe not that long and Michael watches it. And, Adding to that means adding to hope that our life continues and I become the keeper of our memories and become the person that shares our life every day with him. Mm-hmm. So I think it comes from within. And again, it comes from the glass and not half empty. And I think that the best way people can believe in hope is that they should try Every opportunity, every strategy that they can, and you said this earlier in the show, may not work another, and what didn't work before may work now. So being flexible and being able to adapt to the changes that you're living in is what gives you hope. At least for me, um, that's how I operate. And I look forward. I don't look. Um, you know, what was done is done. Now that's just enjoy life. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm living my fairy tale. So, um, I don't have any way that I can do it better unless I can get a new idea that can give us a greater, another day to create a new memory.
0: Wow. You don't hear too many people who are living with dementia. Um, either diagnosed or, or caring for somebody saying they're living their fair tale. And, well, you know, what a beautiful way you're still with your loved one. You're enjoying life. Um, I love your concept of, of the montage. Uh, when I think of that, I think, you know, probably a lot of people wouldn't have gotten divorced if they would have pulled something like that together and reviewed that when they got, when they got angry <laughs> and upset, you know, cause sure. there, there was something there to begin with you know, um, or might help them get on track for what was needed. Uh, well, Cheryl, this has just been a wonderful, wonderful conversation, and I can't thank you enough for the work that you are doing to really have a huge impact on people. And I, um, your book, The 24-Hour Rule, I, um, I I just highly recommend people run out and get this book. Um, thank just, you. Just from what you have told us in just this brief time, I think will be life changing for many of our listeners. And, um well, thank I, you. And I know the book, well, you know, has so much more in it to offer. And so um, I thank you and Michael for your brilliance and the way you've worked together as a team um, that you're looking at this as your diagnosis together. Uh, I, I just think makes so much sense. Um, nobody should be in, so in this alone. So, um, now, best way for people to get a hold of you, um, Cheryl,
1: is uh, via your email and phone. Is that correct? They can um, reach out to me via email, or they. I'm happy to give them my mobile number. I am open to to talk to anybody. Whatever I can do to help in any way. Okay. And so I have
0: C Levine O three. That's C-L- C L.
1: let me just Oh it's not- folio. So if you want um it's Cheryl Levin, L E V I N 03 at Yahoo dot com. And my mobile number is eight four seven five two five seven one zero four. Oh, thank you. And I apologize for mispronouncing your name. Oh, don't be silly.
0: Uh, For some reason, and I'm looking straight at it,
1: there's no E at the end.
0: (laughs) So I I totally pronounced it wrong. But thank you so much. And I wish you guys the best of luck. And, you know, I'd love to have you back on the show and and hear how things are going as as things progress. Um, You're doing wonderful. I would love that. Great, great. Well, thank you. And wrapping up, I just want to remind our our audience that all of our shows are archived. We've been doing this, gosh, since 2011. So we've got over 400 shows for you to go back and listen to. Um, we just had on uh, Dementia Raw with Kathy and Tammy that are just filled with great insights. Um, they just came out with a brand new book themselves called Start With Yes that, um, again, is just a great way to help you communicate and engage and, and live with joy uh, with the disease. Um, dementia Chats, the last one that we had um, posted, and all of them are, are listed on our website there, it talks about do experts and care partners really know what the person with dementia wants? But there's a variety on there from uh, going to the doctor and getting diagnosed Uh, to dealing with pets and technology, um, getting angry, depression, the whole nine yards. So feel free to go ahead and listen to those. Again, I want to thank all of our listeners for sharing our um, Alzheimer Speaks radio along with our other programs that we offer. We'll talk to you all soon. Have a blessed week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.